If you turn with me, we're going to look at part two today of God's instruction for families. And we'll deal primarily today with the parents. We're going to read from verse 1 to 4, chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 4. Hear the word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may be well with you, you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now last week, if you recall, we looked at verses 1 to 3, and basically for the children is to say, children, do what is right, and what is right, to obey and honor your parents. Now this is the right thing to do, and who sets the standard on what is right? That is God. Where do we get the standard? In His Word, and we'll talk more about that later. But it is right, and this is as per God's creational design. To obey their parents is a good thing for children. It's good for children, it's good for parents, it's good for the church, and it's good for society. There was an added incentive to obey your parents in the Lord. Now, it is the right thing to do as per God's moral and natural law. And that never changed. Never will change, never has changed. So there's one qualification I want to add to you. That the children are to obey their parents in the Lord as per church father John Christosom says. They, parents, are to be obeyed in whatever way they are not offending against God. So that is a caveat, a little discussion that we had last week. But in addition to this being right, there's an additive incentive. And we saw that Paul quoted the fifth commandment, the fifth commandment in verses 2 and 3, and the fifth commandment is a commandment with a promise. And the promise comes from Exodus 20, 12 and Deuteronomy 5, 16. Speaking about principally adhering to this command will help develop the child. Now, it's important to understand that this is God's moral law. And this is not just a Christian thing or an Old Testament Jewish thing. This is a, thing, a humanitarian thing. You see, all men and women and children have God's moral law written upon their conscience. Where do we see that? Romans 2.15. And this command is intrinsic to all cultures, all people on all continents. And it's part of God's, once again, creational design. Now, when this is not being adhered to, you start to see decadence. You start to see a decaying society. You start to see law and order being lifted as God's restraint is being lifted. And we see that this is a symbol of a decadent society as per Romans 1.30, when children are disobedient to parents. And this is what we looked at this morning in Sunday school, part of God's wrath of abandonment on a society. And we look at some restraints. We had alluded to them last week a little bit, one being the conscience, but collectively the family is one of God's restraints that he has put on the earth here. 
But when mankind, and we see a lot of problems inside the family, when mankind kind of turns their back on God and raises their fist at God, thinking that they're autonomous, they reap the consequences. Now, there's a newsflash. Man is not autonomous. Man will never be autonomous. Man is accountable to God's law. All are under the law. And when a society turns their back on God, God will give them over to a debased mind. Romans 1.25. We happen to be looking at this in Sunday school, and next week we get to that. But as we looked at America now under an, kind of an identity crisis, the Christian is not. And the Christian does not need to get swept up in any confusion, any winds and waves of doctrine, because we have God's revealed law. We have God's revealed word. And when these winds and waves come and these storms come, the word of God acts as an anchor for the children, for the adults, to keep us from moving through these winds and waves, because the word of God does not change forever. Your word is settled in heaven. Now, Laws are changing in society, and times change, and people change, and styles change, and governments change. But again, what never changes, folks? What never changes? God's word and God's law. And that is what we are to adhere to. So God's instructions here, even as Paul is referring to the Old Testament, is for us here today. It's fundamental, and it's operable for us. Now, we need not obsess of what's going on in our society. We need not obsess over it, but again, we are not to be also ignorant of Satan's devices. Good news that God's plan for us has not changed, and we must adhere to his word. And today we look at verse 4. So let's read it as we see the instructions for families, as we focus on the parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now see the word fathers. Fathers, pataya. And this is a masculine noun. And why do I say that? Well, this is primarily speaking to fathers, but this very same word is used in Hebrews 11.23, speaking of Moses' parents. And the text is speaking to parents. Children, obey your parents. We are going to make the application, and I think we have warrant for, for parents, for fathers, for mothers, for guardians, and for grandparents as well, and we'll see where that applies. But let's start with the fathers. The father is the head of the household and is charged with the ultimate responsibility at that time of raising the child. And it's the same today though culture and circumstances have changed, which we will speak about as well. But we must understand that when God's word and God's will is being done accordingly, there reaps good benefits, principally. principally. So, we see that fatherlessness has been a problem in America, in society. Many people don't like to hear that, but it's just a reality, and we can't turn our... Our, our, our eyes away from it. And I came across some statistics, and quite frankly, you don't know what to believe in this day and age on the Internet. But anyway, I will tell you that it is very accurate to say that 80% of youths that go to prison come from fatherless homes, 
dropouts. Over 70% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes and runaway children come from fatherless homes. And needless to say that when society is not doing things God's way, revealed will, you're going to have problems. And we've seen this. We've seen it since the 60s. A lot of problems with the family. And there are circumstances. And it's it's happened in the church as well. That's just the way life is. We are not yet perfected, and we will have our struggles. But the role of the father here in the text primarily is to bring up the children and in the instructions of the Lord. But we see another duty that the fathers have, and very much so in our day and age, and that is provider. And things are very expensive today. There's a lot going on with inflation. And at such a time as this, it can be very difficult. And the father today, many fathers find themselves as, like they, as if they were a circus juggler, having to juggle so many things. And time management is of the essence and coordinating to, to be who they are called to be, the Christian father for their, for their children. Now, we must redeem the time to use our time wisely as the days are evil. And this certainly has a challenge in these days. And many parents can have the best of intentions. And how many times have you heard someone say, I want to give my parents what I did not have as a child? You've heard that, right? I've heard that as well. And that's a sentiment that's a good sentiment. But I've heard also, I've known some fathers that have been great providers And they have attained a lot for the family monetarily, but they have neglected the home life inadvertently. And sometimes you don't see that till later on in years. The best of sentiments, we know, hey, college costs money, right? Sports costs money. Things are very expensive. And to the neglect of the child, inadvertently, sometimes what gets neglected is the child's spiritual well-being. That's very much can be the case. And if that's the case, this is not condemnation. This is correctable. Now, there are many aspects of providing. And relationally, you can be a father here today or even a mom, and maybe you neglect your family in some way. I want to re-encourage you with something. Even Billy Graham did this. He was asked in Christianity Today in an interview, Billy, do you have any regrets when you look back? And one of Billy's regrets, this is his quote, he said, I regret I did not spend more time with my family. So the importance of spending time with family is essential. Now, because of the way things are today, this has caused the mothers to take up the mantle in many respects, and praise God for that, in homeschooling. And even we come from a culture that has a two-family, sometimes two-two to parent uh, income, because it's necessary in this day and age. But mothers have taken up the accessible course of action and training. And we see this in homeschooling, which is uh, amazing. And much can fall on the mom. And much can fall on the father. And they, too, play the role of the circus juggler in many respects. And both parents now have become, as primarily as we looked in Deuteronomy, The role is provider, okay, for the father first, but it's also been very much so for the mom. Provider, monetarily. Provider, academically. And provider, spiritually. 
We, uh, this applies to the grandparents as well in many cases. And you know who you are in this congregation. But let's now look at the instructions for the parents. As we see in verse 4, and that's all we're going to cover today is verse 4. There's two goals. There's two desired end results that we want to get. One goal is to avoid our children to provoking, avoid provoking them to anger. And the second goal is to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we see first one, do not, negative imperative, do not do something. And what is that? Provoke your children to anger. Now this Greek word implies exasperation. Do not exasperate your child. Do not push your child to the point of frustration is what it would mean. How would that happen? Well, we'll go through a couple of scenarios, but off the onset, right from the onset, avoiding unfair uh, behavior, blatant favoritism, harshness, things like that. But Paul's words here come in the context of the spirit-filled person. And we see in verse 18 that this is derivative of being filled with the Spirit. And in verse 21 of Ephesians, we see the after effects of being filled with the Spirit. And one of them is submission. Now, for the parents, the, we saw that it would be the wife to submit to the husband. But in this context, it's submitting to God's Word. It's being in the Spirit. And one of the ways we want to parent is to be filled with the Spirit, is to walk in the Spirit. And what is parenting in the Spirit look like? Well, some of the characteristics are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the Spirit-filled parent. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Now, we understand in the initial context when this is being written, the fathers in the pagan world were not filled with the Spirit. They were very harsh. They were very cruel. They were very mean. And Paul is writing this to these, this new humanity in the faith, these new people, these Christians. So the first goal we see here, and we're going to extend this to guardians, fathers, mothers, and the grandparents. First goal is do not provoke your children to anger. Now, when you're clouded in the flesh, as we would say, sometimes you're clouded. Your clarity is not there. And you could exasperate your children. But let's first look at what this is not. You do not, do not want to provoke your children to anger. Understood. But as a parent, your instructions will be, by the word of God, sometimes to say the word no. And sometimes when you say the word no, your children may get angry. That's not provoking them to anger. So you don't want to fall in that trap, and you do not want to fall in the trap of manipulation as well. When they get angry and they get sad, they may want to manipulate you, and your feelings may... may you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Now, these traps you fall into... Uh, how would you provoke them to anger or exasperate them? I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios for you, okay? So, sometimes we can put the kids in no-win situations. Now, you want to have your children strive for excellence. Amen? Have them strive for excellence wholeheartedly. But sometimes they can be put in situations where they just can't win. They cannot 
live up to the standard that you're putting upon them. So you have to have the discernment and wisdom to know. So strive for excellence, but make it where they can achieve it as well. That's one. Another way that you can provoke them to anger is when they don't achieve that, you can mock them or humiliate them. And that can happen and without the constructive correction. We must correct them, but we must be constructive as per the word of God. And correct them with patience. And parent them and, and pursue their best interest with grace. We must with grace. We'll talk a little bit more about grace at the end. We can lose self-control. And the reality is we can just get flustered because they're not behaving the way we want them to behave. We know it's not good for them. Another way we can provoke them to anger is over-controlling them. Now, this is, uh, this is interesting because we have to oversee what's going on with them. So basically, when we're talking about children, as it was in that culture, we'll make the application, those living under your roof. Now, you have to monitor what they're intaking, social media, things like that, so on and so forth. And I'll tell you a story about a school in Old Bridge that uh, somebody got word of what they were about to issue to the third, one of their third grade class, uh, the sex ed that was totally inappropriate for third graders. Somebody got wind of it, praise God. And a lot of people from Calvary Chapel and in the community went to the school board and they stopped it. So you have to have a hands-on approach here. And it's definitely a balancing act because you want to protect them, but you don't want to suffocate them. You see, our children are not going to live in a bubble. They may not be of the world, uh, but they'll have to live in this world. So this is the balancing act. Another way is not showing favoritism. If you have other siblings, that's something we can do inadvertently. And then I'll just give you the last ways to be inconsistent with parenting. What was acceptable two weeks ago is no longer. So you want to be fair and consistent. But when you're filled with God's word and you're prayed up and you're filled with the spirit, this is easier to do. So we see what not to do. Now we look at what parents are to do in the positive. So do not provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. Raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a parental duty. We kind of saw this, and we'll look at Deuteronomy, what we opened up with. I think this is very applicable for the parents today. Bring them up. You are the primary influence on your children. Now, the local church has a role to play. The pastor has a role to play. The Sunday school teachers have a role to play. But you are the Bible that they will see. You are their primary discipleship and character-forming people. It's on you. And you want to be doing this at a young age because you have to understand their character will be developed. We can either educate them in the things of God and academically, or they'll be indoctrinated with anti-God things. So it, we must understand this, and this is important, and this is for the parents. And you need the help and the strength and the grace of God to do it. Now bring them up. This is a biblical principle. If you've ever read Proverbs, 
I want you to consider something. Train your child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. Is that a promise or a principle? That's a principle. That's a principle. Because some of you have raised your children, brought them up in the things of God, and maybe they have departed. And maybe you know of someone. That doesn't mean that they will not come back. But do understand one thing. When you're doing things God's way, it is principally always the best way. But that doesn't mean there won't be heartbreak. That doesn't mean you won't have problems along the way. And some we know that have had their heart broken because they've raised up their children, but they haven't. They haven't continued in the faith as of yet. As of yet. But salvation is of the Lord. And we trust in the Lord and we go to the Lord. Okay. So bring them up in how? One way is discipline. Discipline. A prominent theme in the Bible, particularly in the book of Proverbs. Now, discipline means this. Well, here's what we're saying. It involves learning self-control and the ability to restrain from personal desires in order to do what is right. Again, what is right? In a postmodern world that saying there is no right, the Bible says there is right. And we know there's right. The goal of biblical discipline is the avoidance of moral fault and dangers. And we see that throughout Proverbs. We see that throughout Proverbs, particularly in chapters 1 to 9. And you can go over that with your children, and you'll see over and over a father's instruction to a child. Very interesting quote by James Boyce. He's gone home to be with the Lord, but he offers these crucial words for parents. Quote, The obligation is not merely on the side of the child who must obey, but is also on the side of the parent who must enforce the obedience. This is because the parent stands as God in relationship to the child. To teach the child to obey the parents is to teach the child to obey God. To allow the child to defy and disobey the parent is to teach the child to defy and disobey God with all the obvious consequences. So we want to discipline them, not out of frustration for what they're not doing, but so godly character, integrity would be formed in them, and so that they can avoid a lot of life's pitfalls. But what kind of discipline? Well, Proverbs has a lot to say. For example, Proverbs 13.24, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So we see here that there is a form of discipline and spanking and what have you that the Bible is affirming. And God uses discipline on his children. Are you aware of that? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 12, 11, and I'm going to read that to you again in the ESV. God uses discipline on his children for what reason? We are no longer under condemnation. Consider why he would use it. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, 
it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the purpose, again, not to release our frustrations to be in the flesh, to do this for the well-being of the child. Now, you have to know your child. You have to know their disposition, their temperament. There could be simply timeouts. There could be actions for the consequences. The wrong, conse- the wrong actions taken, there are consequences. And these are good because this should, by God's, by God's grace, form in them fruit later on in life as they make their pilgrimage here on this earth. So, the Bible strongly stresses the importance of discipline and we need wisdom and it has to be peaceable and gentle and it has to be done with the right intentions and graceful. But understand the consequence of a lack of discipline. Proverbs 29.15 A rod and reprimand impart wisdom but a child undisciplined disgrace its mother. And sometimes we will just let the child slide because we don't want to hurt their feelings and we love them. I want you to consider a very good quote by a, a pastor named Brian Chappell. And Chappell writes, quote, if we love our children too much to require them to do what is right, then we have not really loved them enough. Reality is that Children who are not disciplined, well, as those statistics I told you, growing up in the fatherless house and the chaos in a lot of the American household today, they grow up rebellious, rebellious against authority. And it is not good for the family. And again, it is not good for society. And discipline is good for them because it involves self-control. And that's something that we want to have. And long-term, it will be beneficial. Training them up in the discipline and instruction of God, of the Lord, the desired goal is down the road, it will be beneficial. And many of you know that already, and you've seen that in your children. And praise God, we have those fruits here. But it's not easy. It's not easy. And you're going to need God's grace and His strength, but don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated. Very important. So the second admonition we see is in the instruction of the Lord. Okay. Instructional principles I want to give you now from the book of Deuteronomy. And this, I believe, is very beneficial. And now we take on the grandparents. Consider Deuteronomy 4, 9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. In life, one of the greatest teaching factors and so beneficial is experience. Experience. Grandparents in the Lord. You have seen the hand of God on your life. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know what God has done for you. And many of us here know what God has redeemed us from. And it's very important, as I mentioned, that we look into the biblical principles. We look back at our life. And we could also teach them from the mistakes that we made. Now, it is true they will have to walk on their own and experience things, but... In the book of Proverbs, we see that much 
can be prevented. So, the Lord has kept you and keep yourself in the most holy faith here as well. Consider what God has done for you and teach them to your grandchildren. But keep yourself as well, grandparents, parents, in God's truth. Meditate on it so you can train up your child. We look at Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 9. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love the Lord, parents. Love the Lord. Let them, the children see that in you. These words which I am commanding you today, this is Moses writing, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. That connotes a lifestyle. That's not one day a week. That is beyond Sunday. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and the frontals of your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your gates. So basically, if we could just take one scripture from the New Testament and say, Parents, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonition, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness to the Lord in your heart. And this whole motif of teaching your children and having this lifestyle and having them writing them on the doorposts of your house, it goes on, and we see that again in Deuteronomy 11, 19 to 21. So we want to have this without suffocating them, without just shoving things down their throat, but we want to have this readily accessible. We want to live it. We want to teach it. We want them to see it. And one of the things we see is this inside-out aspect of the Christian life. When we are dwelling in the Word of God, parents, when we are setting the example, there's much that can be benefited there. And the children can see it through us as well. And what else can we do? We want to rid ourselves, maybe of some activities without being legalistic here, but some activities that are really of no profit. Maybe there's some shows that they watch that is just not good for them. And maybe you could review things as a family. Maybe you could watch shows as a family. I know our daughter Divine, she's raising them. She's got this uh, Baptist catechism that she's using, and real, real good. So she's got a plan in place that, and she's, you know, she struggled. The kids don't Get it overnight. They want to do what they want to do, but diligence and steadfastness with our children. So preparing them for discipline and instruction to have a godly foundation as it pleases God. Now, we want to prepare them and not just shelter them. We want to prepare them for what lies ahead. It's important that they must know and may, must be able to withstand this evolutionary humanistic indoctrination that's going on. Preparing them with truth. What, how do you combat the lies? Right? You combat it with truth. For them going out, some of the high school children have questions. Some going to college, they're going to be indoctrinated, at least attempted to be indoctrinated with this. So, how, what can we do, practically speaking, Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis. Phenomenal. 
saw a conference not too long ago. We got some materials for the children. Just Google Answers in Genesis and products for children. I think they would be really beneficial and they will have fun and it will amuse them to learn. Now, children and high school children here have questions. And you may be saying, I know it's right. You told me it's right. Uh, The Word of God says it's right, but I have questions. Where could the Word of God answer a lot of my questions? Well, what kind of questions do you have? Creation, death, life, disease. Why is there so much disease in the world? Why is there suffering? Why is there evil? And what does God intend to do about this evil? Is there anything that's going to be done? What about marriage? I'm a little confused about marriage. What about racism? What about abortion? What's the big deal? What about government? Where could you find answers for that? Answers in Genesis. Chapters 1 to 11. You will find answers. What God says on each and every one of those topics. So, You'll even say, why do we wear clothes? You'll see that in Genesis as well. (laughs) So children, obey your parents for this is right. Now we go back to this, this is right. Who determines what's right? We already went over that. Who determines what's right? God does. Where do we get God? Is God standing on the mountaintop telling us that's right and wrong? No, we get it in his word. Now, some of you younger people in high school may say, can we really trust the Bible? Don't we have to have faith? Let me tell you, the Bible is about the only thing you can trust, particularly in this day and age. Let me tell you that. Do I trust the Bible? Absolutely. Why do I trust the Bible? Empirical evidence. The Bible, there is evidence behind the Bible. Now, have you ever seen this pamphlet? Are the biblical records accurate? It's right in the back. There's going to be a little homework assignment for all of us today. Read this. Pastor George put this together a couple years ago. Read this. Are the biblical records reliable? Talk about evidence. Talk about facts. There is manuscript evidence to support the Bible. There's internal consistency, internal verification, and external. Let's just go with external for a minute. One one internal, fulfilled prophecies. Do you know the amount of fulfilled prophecies that are in the Bible, children? Have any idea? Hundreds. Manuscript evidence. No manuscript evidence like the New Testament. Archaeological discoveries, the Bible's internal consistency, historical verification, like Josephus, Tacitus, people, historians verify the Bible. Now, one of the things you will look at here when you open it up is all what I have said, historical manuscript evidence, but Jesus Christ himself validated the Old Testament. And that's something that we will look at. I taught a class a couple of years ago, 12 Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible. Probably going to go over that sometime this year as well. Okay, but children, trust God's word. Do not trust your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? 
Do not trust your feelings. Trust your parents in the Lord teaching you what is right. Trust your God-fearing parents. Now, trust in the Lord your God, children. We turn it over to you now. But do understand, in this world you will have trials and you will have difficulties in life. But the lessons, for lack of a better term, that you're learning from your parents now will be better help you be equipped to deal with whatever this wicked world throws at you. And it will help you navigate through this world and it will make you strong. Now, word to the parents. We want to protect our children from many things. The best form of protection we could offer them is to discipline them and instruct them in the Lord. That is the best form of protection. Another form of protection, equally the best, is to pray. Is to pray with them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Parents, teach your children how to pray. And just sow the word of God like Timothy's grandmother and mother. Our faith will come by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Just a couple of closing points of reflection. Now the text gives very general instructions here. But here's where the wisdom comes. Because you've got to know your children. You've got to know what works, what hasn't worked. You've got to know the temperaments, the time of day to do these things. These are the things that you need. The personalities. You've got to know the character strengths, their character flaws. And you've got to raise them with the graciousness that God has given to you as well. You want to pray for wisdom. And be reminding yourself, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, we want them to be saved, and salvation is of the Lord. But this godliness, this integrity of character, and stability, yes, but we also want the devotion that they will have to the Lord. And we pray that God would open their eyes. Now, for me, the older and more mature I get in the Lord, the more I am convinced that God's word is true. I am not surprised at what we're seeing because you're seeing the consequence of sowing and reaping in the world. You're seeing clearly when you don't do things God's way, it's not good, but God is patient. And God is very, very patient. And what we're seeing now is something that maybe gets corrected, maybe doesn't. But we have to understand that we are in Christ. We are not under the, the, the wrath of this world. We are not under the teaching, the principles of this world. We are not part of this satanic, wicked age. So therefore, nothing has changed for us. Please note that, okay? But do understand something about this moral law, which is for all people. It is good, but you will never fully keep it in practice. Parents, you'll make mistakes. Children, you'll make mistakes. The law had a purpose, and the law always has a purpose. And you know what that purpose is? To draw us to Jesus Christ. Now, understand one thing. The law clearly demonstrates that no human being can fulfill righteous, God's righteous requirements. So the law is written on humanity's heart. The whole world's under the law of God. 
But if you are in Christ today, you're not. You're under grace. Praise God for grace. Mark sing, grace, grace, God's grace. That's after. <laughs> Praise the Lord for his grace. And the law clearly demonstrates that we could not keep it. And the law reveals your need for a Savior. So please, don't misconstrue the law of God and the religious upbringing that maybe you had. If, if I can do this well enough, it'll be accepted. You'll never be accepted. The only acceptance comes in Jesus Christ, who was born under the law and became the final sacrifice to bring the law to fulfillment and establish, not the old covenant, the new and better and greater covenant. Oh, Christ fulfilled the law, and for those who have Jesus Christ, they also have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and the Spirit that guides us, and the grace, the grace that guides us. It begins by grace, and it continues by grace. Now understand, too, that salvation, to get right with God, we heard the word, do things right, be right. The only way you get right with God is by grace. Now I've quoted this a lot to you, James 2.10. If you're guilty in one part of the law, if you got 95 on the test, Got one question wrong, you failed the whole test. If you're guilty in one part of the law, you're guilty in all. God's grace. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us by grace we have been saved. So understand that, that God's, what is God's grace is unmerited favor. And if you are under grace... You may say, but I still sin. I'm still not who I want to be. I want to remind you of something in Romans 6, 14. You may still sin, but sin may have no more dominion on you. This is not my opinion. Word of God. 6, 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Jesus is the answer for society Jesus is the answer for humanity. I just pray, and as I know you do, that God pours out a spirit on this world, on this country. I just pray for that. That the Holy Spirit pours out, and many will come to saving grace. Many will come to the knowledge of the truth of God. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Amen. We close with this. How do we live in such a time? Things have changed. It's not the way it used to be. It doesn't really matter. You know why? Titus 2, 11 and 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing them to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Is He your God? Is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? Verse 14, Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed 
and to purify himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. With the possession of Christ. Be zealous for good deeds. Be zealous to train your children. Children, be zealous to listen to your parents. And church, be zealous for good deeds. And our greatest need has been met. Our greatest problem solved. May we tell the world their greatest need can be met. And Christ is the answer to their problem. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks to you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, what a merciful, faithful high priest. Thank you for the instruction given to us, Father. And thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to empower us and the grace to fulfill these instructions. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.